Hello, my name's Paul Goddard and welcome to the Agile Podcast. Just a quick reminder from Jeff and I that uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes store if you've got an iPhone. You can uh, leave us a comment or a review, five stars please. Uh, if you don't have an iPhone, shame on you, but if you don't have an iPhone, you can still subscribe uh, using another device through SoundCloud and you can also leave us a comment there. We'd like that too if you can. So on to this podcast. Jeff and I met up this time in a small pub called The White Horse, uh, and that's in the village of Milton in Cambridgeshire. So, let's get going. Afternoon. <laughs> Hello, Jeff. Evening. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, it's going to make a slightly different noise Funny today. Noise. I'm drinking out of a can. Tin you can. rebel, you. You, you child. <clears throat> You're like a child. So, it's a, it's a beaver town neck oil session IPA. It sounds like like a, like a hair product more than a. It's, it's um, the, the graphics on it are a bit um, Cinco de Mayo type. Yeah, yeah, that Latin, Latino, type. yeah, no, it's, yeah day, I'm, I'm day of the Dead. Right? That's the word. Yeah. Um, and I'm drinking Bulmers, plain old Bulmers, but it's red. It's red Bulmers. It's crushed red berries and lime. Mm. So it's a bit fruity, Jeff. Well, this has a bit of a citrusy, citrusy flavour to it. It's nice. It's <clears throat> very, very IPA. It's not going to last you very long, though. No, no, that's alright. There's, there's a few few different ones to try, so I'll work my way through. Cheers. Cheers, yeah. Let's see. So, What's occurring, Jess? What's occurring? Well, <clears throat> I have a kind of urge to talk about the art of the possible. Right. This is something we used to, well, I first learnt from Ken Trober, I think. Didn't he do it? I remember yeah. back in 2006, he did this as part of his co-training. This was before I kind of got into the whole improv side of things. So this was, yeah, years ago. Yeah, so in, yeah, in, in the sense of scrum rather than perhaps improv, I suppose. But the improv is built on the art of possible, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's work with what you've got. Accept it and move on and, yeah. and build on it. And so some, some of the people that I've been working with recently um, have... This is something that I've had a huge conversation with him about, you know, as a scrum master. There's a bunch of scrum masters. Yeah. Trying to change their organisation, trying to become a little bit more agile, help their teams. Um, but they're beset, or they feel like they're beset on all sides by constraints and all, all the reasons why they're unable to do what they want to do and unable to... to you know, all the reasons why agile won't work. And it's not that they are... Anti, no, just not that they don't bad want people. To work. It's just that they they see all the reasons why. And it seemed a little bit almost out of hope in a way. But is this is this due to those constraints or because they see the the problem? They they see the problem in everything mm. rather than the solutions that that could occur. Well, so that's kind of where. Yeah, where, where I want to go with that really, I suppose, is that you know, the best scrum masters, absolutely, I know it sounds quite cliche, 
but they see it as glass half full. They see, all right, it's not perfect, but there's something that I can do. I could list off a hundred reasons why this wouldn't work, yeah. but my job, my objective, my goal is to find one that might and yeah. focus on that. Even yeah. if it's not going to solve the problem, it's going to get us some small way towards a better place. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's kind of, I see it as a kind of responsibility for people who are taking on that scrum master role because people are looking for that and if they if they can't you know if they, if they can't see any hope yeah then how on earth will anybody else see any hope in change and I don't wish to isn't this almost it's like a leadership quality that you're looking for yeah it's not just scrum masters it's in any, in any you're looking to try and bring people with you mm. you have to be convincing in terms of the argument you're trying to put across mm. no one's going to follow someone who you know, no one's a, a defeatist or, yeah, no one's going to follow a defeated a defeated person no <clears throat> so that I used a I'm doing quite a few um, podcast interviews with other people who didn't realise how popular podcasting was but it's still still quite popular and one of the I did a podcast with um, Corey Bryan in the States who introduced me to a phrase no raindrop ever feels responsible for the flood mm. and <clears throat> it's, a, it's a well it can be but it's it's it, and it's potentially quite harsh in a way but to me every every how I take that is every actor within a system has in some way contributed to that system becoming what it is and so the scrum masters or developers anybody can sit there and complain about why everybody else is contributing to this dysfunctional way of working but they are part of it if they are at any point failed to stand up for what's right or tell the truth or be positive they have contributed that situation so we have a responsibility then to do something about it mm-hmm. <clears throat> I did steal a, 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 a JPEG a while ago and use it in a couple of presentations that I gave about coaching and it's um, when I look in the mirror I see um, a magical unicorn or something like that it's, 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 you know, nobody looks in the mirror and sees themselves for what they really are they, they always see everything else um, worse than them. It's always that somebody else's problem or somebody else's fault. On the one hand, it's nothing to do with agile because it's not process. It's not. You know, it's not about sprints. It's not about iterations. It's not about working software. But it's a, for me, it's huge. That attitude that that is contagious. Do you think that is something? Is that an attribute? Or is that a skill? Is that something you either have or you don't? Or is that something you can learn? I think some people are naturally more glass half full than some people are more naturally glass half empty. I'm not sure whether they were born that way or whether that's just a a sort of environmental influence. I almost think it's something you can lose rather than something you can gain. Well, they do say, don't they, that you get more cynical as you get older. But... Equally, well, these guys more... that you spoke to today, were they particularly old, older? No, they were, um, no, I would say 40. Right. 
Maybe so, so it's not like it's, they've still got they've still got time. It's, it's not, not like, like they've seen thirty out. years of organisational like failure. And was this an older company or a newer company? Um, I don't know. They're, they're not a startup, but they're not a, a, a sort of an institution, right? Like uh, some of the big places that we've worked at in the past. They're not BT. No, I'd say they're probably a middle-aged company. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> but yeah, I think that's that. That is a huge, huge thing. So is it? I think it's something you can learn. I think it's something you can deliberately practice. I think you can train yourself to look for the positives and I think a coaching mindset helps with that as well uh, having a solution focused mindset I think it's the um, so I always think this always makes me think about the scrum values and again the scrum values are kind of they're underrated I think mm. they're, they're, under, they're not mentioned enough but it's the kind of um, are you willing to do you actually embody those values yourself as a scrum master are you willing to be unpopular are you willing to be courageous and say what needs to be said and to call out the the unachievable projects to say we can't do this to to wave the flag and say this is a bad call Um, and put, put yourself it sounds very dramatic but throw yourself at the mercy of, of your stakeholders to say you're asking too much yeah. but it's, I think I think that's that's a a trait courage you, yeah that you or is it is it is it the, is the does the culture define your personality does that does the culture of the company make you less courageous or do you think you I think I've got more courageous in a work sense since I've got as I've grown up mm. I was quite shy as a scrum master when I first started quite I didn't want to rock the boat but now I think I'd just you know, I'd probably lose my job every week would you then? well no well it's slightly dramatic I suppose but, but I'd be willing to say things now that I wouldn't have said before but was there something in that that when you were younger you thought you might lose your job Absolutely, I did. Yeah. And do you think, looking back, that that's actually a valid fear and a valid concern? No, absolutely not. It, you feel you feel in some way it will be detrimental to your growth, to your chances, to your to succeeding in life, to yeah. you know, to to rock the boat. But inevitably, it's not going to change that much. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think I got wrapped on the knuckles a couple of times towards the end of my BT career for perhaps and I was told off this is the thing I was told um, you might remember it but I was told off for not towing the towing the line in terms of you know and what I mean by that is not what is is by not going with what the management team had said had right. you know not not agreeing with the deadlines that had been imposed or agreed okay. up front by someone else so I kind of challenged it and I was wrapped on the knuckles a couple of times for suggesting it was a bad idea and, and BT retail at the time went a bit wobbly and I got shouted at so I think you probably do get worn, no, worn down but you get it does affect you I think but there has to be that strength that that your conscience your integrity has to remain intact yeah you don't I think it's to me it's a kind of fail fast mentality at the organisational level 
am I, I want to know whether this is a company I want to be working for. And the best way to do that is to, is to be who you are and test the integrity and see how they react. Otherwise you're just storing that disappointment up for later, aren't you? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think we do enough with the art of the, back to the art of the possible. I think that's, because uh, I often in my courses, I, I draw the, the analogy between a scrum master and Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> as this kind of character that's firstly eternally op- optimistic yeah. and has this kind of infectious um, personality that they, they can generally you've got to be able to be positive mm. and then the scrum master that I work with quite closely says no matter how bad your day is when you get into the office you've got to, you've got to be able to turn it around because that will have an effect on how, mm. how the people people see you and people read you and people will adjust to your behaviours if you're constantly negative and constantly downbeat you can expect your scrum team to be constantly downbeat with you yeah so kind of they're they're infectious behaviours what about if you're just not feeling it do you mean do you fake it Fake what? Positivity. I think you can fake it, yeah. Do you think you should? <clears throat> I, think, I think sometimes you've got to... It's an interesting thing, can you fake it? I think... And I, I use... I know we both use this. We both use... Sometimes the thing to do is to, is to make, an artif- make it artificial. So what I mean by that is is to almost take reality away from the team to help them see a difference. Mm-hmm. So if there was a magic wand to solve this problem, how would you solve the problem? Right. To try and get people to see, even if it seems impossible, latch on to something that's positive. Mm-hmm. And I think so you, could, you could class that as faking it, making, you know, making a, an alternate reality. But we need that. We need... No, it's escapism, isn't it? You, I mean, imagine how, imagine if you were in a job where, you know, you're nine to five. As soon as you get in the office, you're just surrounded by negative, mm. negativity. We need, we need positive vibes. That's we need that sense of escape to. So the scrum master is providing that to the team to some degree. Where, do, where, where does the scrum master get there? Where do they draw from? Their power from. Mm. Their positivity power. I don't know. Mm. Hope. I mean, is, is it hope? Is it? Is it um, people? Hope. You know, kind of seeing, wanting to get the best out of people. I, I, I used to, as a scrum master, as a, as a person, I like to make people happy. I like mm. to, if people are happy, then I'm, I tend to be happy. If the people I work with are happy, then I tend to be happy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously that's... If you've got to switch that around, if you've got to be the person bringing that sense of happiness, mm. it is tough if you're, if you're having a bad day. For me, I think it's always about resetting your expectations. So... Whereas on, on a good day when things are going well, you can expect a lot and you can get fulfilled by the big wins, the big changes. But on a, on a hard day, maybe it's just the smallest mm. possible thing. Even on a bad day, 
and we still got something or you just sort of see a small chink wasn't that a story you told me it's about a I think it was um, the Reading manager at the time or something I can't remember who it was it was a football football manager but you told me after every defeat he gets he sits down with the team and tries to draw out five positives of the game okay who was it well, who was it I don't know it was the Southampton manager or the Reading manager come on British English Nigel no um, it'll come to me in a minute but yeah, he used to sit his teams down and um, basically, even even if they played really badly, to try and extract some positives from that, mm. to try and focus on improvement generally, kind yeah. of the solutions focus. This idea of coming coming at any any problem from a positive place. Well, I'm going to flip that, and I know that actually that you you are familiar and a bit of a fan of this as well, but of the the catastrophizing it and actually saying, do you know what, if, if we're struggling to think of positives, let's just think of the worst, so how, how can we make this worse? Um, okay, yeah. Get into the, the, the psychopath mentality, and so right, I'm going to sabotage this. What, to then retrace it to say, well, actually, it's not as bad as it might as it well, could be. Well, first of all, yeah, it's not as bad as it could be. Yeah. And sometimes in those those way, I, I, ideas for making it worse, you see the opportunities of flipping those, mm. or at least avoiding them, you know, putting in mitigation practices to stop it getting worse, and that's a success. Mm. Anything, anything at all to, and that can be quite fun actually. It's almost like flipping, just directly doing the inverse of the negative. Yeah, yeah. Or, or mitigating that. But the, the idea of, you know, how can we make this worse, can be quite fun. Yeah, quite liberating. Really. Your your comment of you know, detaching from reality, if you like, is, you know, we're not going to go out and make it worse. No. So why not? We can just dive in with this and have a bit yeah, of fun with fun it. With it yeah. <coughs> That's true. And it's, some people find that a lot easier to to think of all the things that could go wrong and how to exacerbate the problem. Mm. Um, and there's a, there can be a lot of insight into that. Mm. Mm. So yeah, is this is this a bit negative? Is this is this a it bit feels negative? I don't know why. Yes. For me, it's a good thing. The idea of meeting the situation where it is, um, not not expecting more than is realistic, um, managing your expectations, um, and yeah, just. So meeting, meeting the situation where it is. We should point people to that TED talk. Which one? The Sean Aker one. That's a good one. Yeah. So if you are, if you're interested, these are things that Jeff and I use a lot to provoke yeah. different work, the trains of thought. We use them in training courses. We use them in retrospectives. But there's a great one called oh, Secret. The Secret to Happy Work. Happy Secret to Better Work. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. If you if you Google a guy called Sean Aker, A C H O R, um, yeah, the happy secrets about work. He did a TEDx talk. I think it's in Bloomington, uh, in uh, Texas. But um, it's a few years old. But it's a it's, and he speaks really fast. But it's he quite does. it's quite it's a quite an interesting take on how he talks about the fact. Just the synopsis is that success um, doesn't necessarily come from happiness. Is that right? No. So no, if, you, if you focus on edit point. being successful yes. so that you will be happy, you've got yes. it the wrong way around. 
because as soon you've as you've be, achieved success, yes. you then reset the bar, and you yeah. never you never get there. So you've got to be happy to find success. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing in terms of. We generally think we need scrum teams will say to us, you know, if I, if the results get better, then the team will be happier. Yeah. And morale is driven by results. Whereas in fact, if you get the environment right, mm. you get the scrum team um, relationship right, and the kind of the environment for them, their working agreements right, then results could come and will come from that. Yeah. So it's that paradigm. So have a look at it. Tell us what you think. Without, maybe this is going off on a bit of a tangent. I suppose that's what these things are supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, the idea of a, you know, an agile transformation, when is it complete, is a question I get asked now again. And you know, you've made it. And my answer is, well, you probably never will. And that's not the point. The point isn't to make it, it's to get to the end. It's, it's, it's enjoy the, the journey. Yeah, enjoy the journey. Because you're going to be doing that for a hell of a lot longer than you are going to have made it. Um, so, and you're more likely to get there if you can enjoy the journey along the way but isn't that true of this agile transformation if you expect if you set the results that this is what we expect to achieve when you get there people then will just want you to achieve more Mm -hmm. so it's kind of the same type of thing I think the recipe for a good transformation is when people are happy to a degree your workforce the people that work for you and build your products are not just delivering great products but they're enjoying the work that they do mm. they're not you don't want a workforce that's miserable but but delivering great products okay so this is a first so we uh, we're in a car Paul's driving we're in Paul's car Paul's car Paul's driving uh, I, has, I hasten to add that we haven't just come straight from the pub. Paul is not drinking and driving. Um, this is, uh, but this is, we're going to append this to our previous podcast because uh, it was only about 18 minutes long. So, um, a bit of extra footage. Yeah, a little bit of extra. Uh, and uh, this is not pub time. This is travel time. Yeah. So yeah, we're. Uh, we're uh, doesn't matter what road we're on, does it? We're not drinking anything. Yeah. But. Um, we, I presume you got an email. I got an email. We're, we're not allowed to teach safe. No, we've been outlawed. Yeah. So not that we, not that we did anyway. But no, we wouldn't do that. Um, as a, as a CST, the Scrum Alliance have now classified safe. What's, what's the company? What's the company? Is it? What's it now? Is it a Scaled Agile Inc. or something. It's have, officially uh, a competitor. Isn't yeah. It? So they're offering competitive. Offerings, so uh, CSTs are no longer allowed to teach safe. Not a problem for me. I you? think there are some CSTs that do that, that did offer both. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I suppose if you're a CST now, you're going to have to make that decision. Yeah. Which, which way uh, you want to go? I wonder what they choose. Yeah. And uh, no, not not uh, not an area that I'm really interested in. I'm probably not going to venture into. It, no, I don't think so. Doesn't really interest me. It's not. It's not about the people. We get asked a lot about the scaling question. Well, we did. We did. We've been. We've been doing a lot of that today. We've been on a course today, and it's uh, a lot of questions came up about scaling, didn't it? Mm. I mean, natural. They're, you know, they're they're a big company, and and they're you know, they're looking to, to to do this across divisions, across countries, 
uh, across product lines um, and every team at the moment is doing things in a different way and sort of I guess to a degree floundering um, and thinking that we could line things up it's amazing Maybe. that people still ask us though they still come to us and the question came up today that it almost seemed like please just tell us tell us what to do tell us what to do it's, it's very hard because the stories that we tell will probably not necessarily be a perfect fit for anyone else and that to an extent the big scaling stories that we tell are probably dated that you know they've been they've been you know surpassed by the newer technologies and newer ways of thinking but um, I still think a lot of the pitfalls are probably the same in terms of the, the cautionary advice that we give is probably still the same. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I, the basic, absolute basic for me is if it's not working at the team level, it's never going to work at the program level. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Um, so, have you got a have you got a highly functioning team uh, with clarity, with support, with proactive self-management and collaboration? With a you know clear prioritised product back of where the team has some predictability and, and you know they've got into a rhythm. And if you've got that, then you can that team can grow organically. Yeah. And you can take your time. But if you haven't got that, then you're effectively scaling something that's broken. Um, and for me, at least, the only thing I've seen is is imposition and um, resistance. It's uh, the, the micromanaged agile, and it's yeah, it's not a great place to be when you're when when that's that's how it's received. I could foresee something like safe emerging potentially mm. from from highly functioning teams that are that, that are you know growing bigger, but if it starts big and then tries to go down, I haven't seen that engaged teams. I haven't seen any team yet be engaged by the idea of a safe structure. The thing I, I'm always... There's a couple of things with safe that I'm sceptical of. Is the... Firstly... Well, a few things. I'll, I'll, I'll list them off. Um, the first thing is around um, distance. The distance it puts between real um, people. People's... The problem... Um, solvers, the actual scrum teams. It puts distance between scrum teams and potentially business people, users, customers. Yeah. Because you're, you know, you're kind of, you are pandering to the organisational structure of a large, uh, large corporation, which inevitably it doesn't do anything to decrease distance. If anything, it adds adds more distance between those people. Um, secondly, job titles. There's a lot of attractive job titles in SAFE that are attractive to a lot of a lot of people in management positions. Okay. Because there's the illusion of power. Um, and also, the third thing, which is probably more of a broad thing, is it, it's trying to make something which is inherently complex, human behaviour, you know, complex adaptive systems, too simplistic. Okay. It's trying to apply something, you know, organisational behaviour patterns are not as simple um, in that way, in that shape or form. That's, that's, that's my two pen as well. Yeah, I think I, I don't think I have ever advised this, but I, I, I'd probably be tempted to say, if you're thinking about safe, just do waterfall. 
Just do waterfall really well. Don't pretend to do agile. Mm. But anyway, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't really. My my point was not to to get into a bit of a debate about it. Actually, just that, that email came through this morning, and uh, at the same time that we we're being asked about it, so we could we could say not only do we not teach it, we're not allowed to teach it. Yeah, <laughs> so don't ask us. But um, I mean, I'm I'm I suppose I leave. I leave myself yet to be convinced and, and I'd love for people, someone to sit me down over a pint obviously and tell me the full story of how SAFE has worked for them because I haven't seen or heard from many of those people yet and I'm sure there are people that would prove me wrong but well, I'd like, I'd, it would, for me it would take someone in the team to, be, to convince me, not right. a manager. Okay, right. I'd, I'd need to be convinced at the team level. That it's working for them. Yeah, that it was enabling them. Okay, yeah, they felt it was a good benefit. Yeah, so that's a good point. Um, yeah, and if that happens, happy days. But until that point, I'll, I'll remain sceptical until proven otherwise. So safe is guilty until proven innocent. Well, yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> well, I, do, I know because we tried to. I, I wouldn't say it was safe as it as it, as described out of the box. There was when I was just when I was leaving Nokia. There was. Um, we were trying some of the stuff that Leffingwell was proposing, probably in other parts of Nokia, but it didn't fit for us. It didn't fit with the teams. It created a lot of a lot of intensity that, that you know people. If you weren't on, basically if you weren't on the train, you sucked. Basically, if you weren't good enough, you, you were left behind. And it was this whole pressure, the stress of getting stuff ready to, and just it didn't work very well felt that other people were in control of, of the team's destiny it didn't, didn't sit right with me mm. anyway so uh, let's well let's take that and let's meander with that one then so you could you could make an argument for that that kind of intensity increases productivity and quality you know if you're not good enough to get on the train then you're not good enough to get left behind why yeah. why, why accommodate mediocrity or, or yeah, sub, substandard uh, quality so then, so maybe you could make an argument that if Safe creates that environment, then the best companies are going to get better. Yeah. What do you think? P- potentially. I also, I don't, it did the, that increases stress. If you're, you know, if you're, I think it puts, it does put some pressure on you to, to get stuff done. Is that, is that the type of pressure that you want every day, every week? Every minute, I don't know. Mm. I think it's about finding. I think I don't know if it's sustainable. That's my that's my concern. Just, maybe we're we're the train analogy is is flawed in the UK because for us trains don't work very <laughs> trains don't work very well, do they? Trains are notoriously bad. So they've got a bit of a bad reputation in the UK. But once they're on the tracks and moving, I guess that that analogy is where it comes from. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll take that then and I'll, I'll, I'll put a, um, another aspect to it in that I remember years ago being uh, or hearing a statement that Scrum's fine if you've got really talented people with really good engineering practices in um, you know, environments and, and they, they're trusted and they have support from management and you know, if everything's set up then Scrum will work really really well but you get the average team in the average organisation and it's just not going to work <coughs> And I know Ken Schwaber said, no, 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 Scrum works with idiots. Get a bunch of people together who've never been to college or done 
programming, stick them in a room with a prioritised product backlog for 30 days, and at the end of the, at the, end of the sprint, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. <clears throat> Scrum will have worked. Yeah. Because you'll have a load of rubbish, and now you know empirically what that team's capable of. Yeah. And I know that's, that's quite a pity comment, but for me, Scrum isn't about just working with the best of the best. No. <clears throat> it's, it's making the best of what you have mm-hmm. and being able to get better. Creating that sustainable pace, creating that transparency about what we are capable of, and giving us many opportunities to improve whatever level we're at. Um, so maybe that, that but I, I don't know, maybe I, I could foresee Scrum being used in a similar way, I suppose, to create and sustainability, to create constant pressure. You know, every sprint's got to be better than the next one, every sprint's got to be amazing. Yeah. Step up or, or get scrum, out. Using the framework as a whip. Yeah. But and again, the other thing that worried me today when we're talking with this with this company is is just that everything everything's up in here. So so with the, they're, they're trying safe, um, and they talked about twenty teams, and just just the the scale at which they've started worries me. Just the fact that scrum scrum the emergent the, the idea of emergent learning. And teams creating their own um, strategy and their own um, development pace. It just screams at me as it's just a car crash. I shouldn't say car crash. We're in a car. <laughs> no, but um, but yeah, it just worries me slightly that there's just so much risk, so much in motion, so much potentially that could go wrong. Yeah. If you're not on on the money. Any other thoughts out today, Jeff? That's uh, your mind's wandering. Um, well, all right. This might be perhaps too big to tack on the end of it, but today is an absolutely glorious day. Yeah. It is beautiful. The sun is shining. It's the sky is blue. About five o'clock now, isn't it? So it's five o'clock. It's and it's about fourteen degrees. Hardly a cloud in the sky. It's got these wispy clouds in the sky. It's beautiful blue skies. So that's what. About sixty. Yeah. In Fahrenheit in Old Bunny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which isn't like sunbathing weather, but it's nice for March. Yeah. And uh, I think having that that nice day had a visible impact on mood. True. I think you're absolutely right. And that positive outlook and uh, much higher opportunity to look at the look at the situ- look at any situation in a more of a glass half full uh, kind of way. Get outside. Yeah, that, just that sunshine and the, 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 the positivity, I think that shouldn't be underestimated. But then what do you, what do, you do if you're, you're, you're working in an environment where the weather's always terrible? You're just destined to be... Well, a good point today was, um, I'm not sure if we put this in, but the fact that in a room where the blinds were down, Yeah. And that made me sad, Jeff. Sad. Especially when it's such a nice day. And um, I, was, I was at my... Um, Jocelyn's, my daughter's school, uh, science, it was a science fair on Sunday, mm. and there was a professor there of brain science, he was a very clever man, and he was saying um, about jet lag and how you get over jet lag, it's literally just, he says, you just want to get out, get over jet lag, get outdoors, and let your brain use the light, your brain is built around light and dark, so and it's no wonder that, you know, you know, if you're expecting people's brains to function in the dark constantly, with artificial light, you're not getting the most out of your brain power. Mm. Interesting. <laughs>
vitamin D and melatonin and all that kind of stuff. All that type of stuff. That's brain function. So yeah, get outside more, people. Here we are trapped inside a car. <laughs> so we're not getting a great deal of fresh air, but we can see all around us, Jeff. It's just the lights of the M11. <laughs> is that what it is, the M11? Yeah. Wonderful. We'll be on the M25 soon. It'll get even worse. Great British car park. Yeah. Okay. I think that... that There's a little, little uh, segue there, a little, yeah. little bonus pipette. It's that time of year though, isn't it, where it's a, it does lift spirits. And um, it's a little bit easier to have a few more meetings outside, longer days, yeah. more sunlight, more, and uh, people that. are generally a bit chirpier. Yeah, yeah. I wonder whether we can make more of that. Perhaps we should ask people a question. What have you done today? Have you noticed something, someone, or something that's happened that's made you happy or made someone else happy, or in a positive, more positive frame of mind? <clears throat> I'll tell you something else that um, that I've noticed in me. Yeah. Is that I, I'm. I, I, I don't know whether I've always been like this or whether just it's, it's getting different with age, but I get hangry. What's hanged? Hangry? Hangry, yeah. So H-A-N-G-R-Y. Yeah. So if I'm hungry, I get angry. Oh, hungry, angry. So hangry. Okay. Right, uh, okay. Hunger, anger. Right, okay. Uh, and I'm probably angry is probably too wrong a word, but I, I, I'm, I'm not as positive, I'm not as constructive, I'm not as optimistic if, I'm, if I haven't eaten. Okay. So, when we talk about having food, perhaps, in meetings can increase bonds and rapport, but also... It's a very social thing to do, it's easy it to is, yeah. It's positive as well. Yeah. So, maybe something. Are you hungry now, Jess? I am a bit hungry now, <laughs> to be honest. Let's just hope yeah. you don't get angry. Yeah. So, maybe we'll have to stop take awesome. a stop. Okay, what should we call it a day there? Yeah, slightly shorter one this time, peeps, but... Um, but there we go. We, had, we didn't have Nigel to fill out the time, so there you go. <laughs> Sorry, Nigel. All right. Well, that's it for another episode. See you next time. See you next time. Ta-da.